to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. It's so good to be with you all this morning. I want to thank you for being a part of what God is doing here at Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's such a joy. So as we're been looking at these um, different creeds and confessions in our sermon series, Roots to Roots. Today we're coming to the Scots Confession. Scots Confession was written in 1560, and it's actually 25 paragraphs long. It takes about 15 pages in our book of confessions. So I've just chosen uh, paragraph 16, a selection from it that addresses a question, an issue that is relevant just as it was to them, it's just as relevant for us. So I'm going to ask you, church, what you believe, and then you're going to respond. Um, When it says Kirk, this is a Scottish way of saying church, okay? So uh, know that. Church, what do you believe? This Kirk is Catholic. That is universal because it contains the chosen of all ages, of all realms, nations, and tongues, be they of the Jews or be they of the Gentiles who have communion and society with God the Father and with his Son, Christ Jesus, through the sanctification of his Holy Spirit. This Kirk is invisible, known only to God, who alone knows whom he has chosen, and includes both the chosen who are departed, the Kirk triumphant, those who yet live and fight against sin and Satan, and those who shall live hereafter." Awesome. Thank you all. Well, as part of our Roots to uh, Roots sermon series, if you haven't had a chance to go out here down the hallway and look at the visual art installation, it's just fantastic. We had over 50 artists make submissions of visual art, and many of them are not even members of the church, but they found uh, the theme of Roots to Roots so compelling, they kind of wanted to give their own interpretation, and I would encourage you to go and look at that. Uh, It's just beautiful. Well, that creed, the Scots Confession, is born out of Scripture. And one of the Scriptures that's foundational to it comes from 1 Corinthians. It comes from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 26, where Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and addressing the same issue. Who makes up the church? What is the church like? What do we do with diversity and difference in the church? And listen to what Paul says. Open your eyes, your ears, and your hearts for the word of the Lord. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body. But the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this great passage from Holy Scripture and ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher, that you might speak a word to our hearts that only you can speak. Lord, this is a creed and a part of it that's wrestling with an issue that's relevant to all of us. So I pray that you might shine a light on it, your good light. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, I have a trivia question for you. It took fewer number of days to write the 25 paragraphs of the Scots Confession than the total number of members named John who wrote it. How many of each were there? A, do you think it took one day and two Johns? B, did you think it took three days and four Johns? Or C, do you think it took four days and six Johns? A, okay, B, C, you are correct. The correct answer is C. It took four days and six Johns to write the Scots Confession. The six Johns were John Winram, John Spottiswood, John Willock, John Douglas, John Rowe, and John Knox. If you are named John, congratulations, you are an elite Presbyterian company. In our book of confessions, there are three confessions that were written during the Reformation era. And they're written in three different countries in Europe. Scotland, the Scots Confession. Germany, next week, will be the Westminster, uh, Heidelberg Catechism. And then in Switzerland, the Westminster Confession. I, that's not true. It's the second Helvetic Confession. There are a lot of confessions, I'm sorry. But the Scots Confession was written in Scotland in 1560. It was a response to Scotland receiving its independence from England. You see, the Queen Regent died in her sleep. And so the Protestant nobility of Scotland negotiated their independence at the Treaty of Edinburgh. And Scottish Parliament declared that Scotland would be a Protestant country. And so they asked the clergy to get together and write a Protestant confession of faith. And those six Johns led primarily by John Knox wrote the Scots Confession. Now there are 25 paragraphs as I mentioned, but I only read paragraph 16. Why do you think that's the case? I think it's a case because it wrestles with an issue. It wrestles with a problem that we are still dealing with, that each of us in our own lives has to wrestle with. I also think it helps us understand and clarify a question that people are very confused about, the nature of the word Catholic. <laughs> Many people I know won't recite the creeds because they think, I can't say it, I'm not Catholic. I'm here to let you know 
that you can believe the church is Catholic without being Roman Catholic. The writers of the Scots Confession would have been horrified if they knew you thought that they were Roman Catholic. (laughs) The Reformation Confessions were written against a backdrop of great religious, political, and economic upheaval. There were great reformers like Calvin and Luther and John Knox thought the Roman Catholic Church was a corrupt institution and they didn't want any part of it. And when it comes to the creeds and confessions of our tradition, they can seem quite harsh, especially when they deal with the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope and those issues. See, once a week, I used to gather with a group of Georgia Tech students for Bible study. These students lived in the fraternity and sorority, the Greek system, so we called it Greek light. We did it once a week, we studied the Bible, and they were serious Bible students. We'd also hang outside of Bible study. We went on international trips to, for Habitat for Humanity builds. We did, just, we really cared about each other. It was an exciting time. In the group, there was a, a young man named uh, Ben. He was an aerospace engineer. He was from Philadelphia. He'd grown up nominally Catholic. But through our study, he began to get interested in his faith again. And he discovered that I was Presbyterian, so he wanted to do a little theological research to see about what I believed, see what Presbyterians believed. And so one night, he comes to me after the study, he says, hey, Jeff, could I talk to you for a second? I said, sure, Ben, what about? And then in a soft voice, kind of like I'd hurt his feelings or something, he said, Jeff, I read the creeds and some of the confessions of your Presbyterian faith. And they say some really harsh things about Roman Catholics. Some seem to say that I'm not a Christian. Do you believe I'm not a Christian? Do you think that about me? And I can't remember exactly what I said to him, but this is what I wish I would have said to him. See, in religion and in life, we will continually encounter diversity and difference. And the question is, how will we deal with that diversity and difference? When we think about differences, we may encounter no greater difference than when it comes to food. (laughs) Like, for instance, I grew up on pretty much a meat and potatoes and ice cream diet. That's what my, fam- my friends' families ate. That's what everybody ate. A wild culinary night for, for us was on Friday nights when we'd happen to have pizza bread. Remember, as I had French bread, you'd cut it in half, put you know, pizza sauce, mozzarella cheese, and if you'd been well-behaved that week, you might get pepperoni. And as far as I knew, that's what everybody ate. I ate that, my family ate that, our relatives ate that. That's what everybody around me ate. Then I went to college in Seattle. (laughs) And Seattle sits on the Pacific Rim. And there's a huge Asian cultural presence there. It was only five hours away from my hometown, but it could have been on the other side of the world. And I can remember it like yesterday. I remember the first time somebody invited me out for Thai food. And I was like, what? Why would people tie their food in knots? They said, no, Jeff, it's food from Thailand. I said, oh. They said, and it's cheap. I said, perfect. (laughs) And so we went to this place called Thai Tom's on University Avenue in the U District. 
and my life was changed. Ty Tom would personally cook your food on the grill while you try to box people out and get a seat, one of the half dozen there at the bar. The smell I can remember in that tiny Thai shop was, was foreign. It was unique and it was delicious. And Thai Tom only knew a little English, but he knew all he needed to know. He knew the words pad Thai and $7. Now, let me be clear. I'm, I'm no Anthony Bourdain, but this experience started me out on a process to be open to new culinary experiences. I began to become open to difference, to diversity. How do you deal with difference? Differences in food, clothes, music, religion. I should have told my friend Ben that there are usually two modes of response when it comes to dealing and confronting religious difference. Both of them are part of our tradition. Both of them, if you read the creeds and confessions, you can see both streams of thinking, but I think one is much better than the other. See, the first stream of thinking of how we confront difference is we demonize difference. When confronting someone who's different, we say, you're irrational, you're crazy, you're stupid, you're damned, you're of the devil. When we encounter a different viewpoint, a different way of seeing the world. We don't try to learn or inquire about it. We dismiss it outright. This outlook, if anybody believes, behaves, or belongs differently than us, they're worthless. We see this view in religion, in politics, in SEC football, with food. We see it in almost every aspect of life. This is kind of how human beings can be. There is a stream in our tradition that demonizes the other. And that's the stream, that's the thinking that Ben was worried about. There's also another stream in our tradition when it comes to encountering religious and theological difference. When it comes to religious difference in the church, look at what the Scots Confession says. The Kirk, that is the church, is Catholic. That is universal because it contains the chosen of all ages, of all realms, nations, and tongues, be they of the Jews or be they of the Gentiles, who have communion and society with God the Father and with His Son, Christ Jesus, through the sanctification of His Holy Spirit. This Kirk is invisible, known only to God. Coming out of the Reformation, the Scots Confession identifies the church with this universal, almost cosmic scope. All ages, realms, nations, and tongues are included in it, it says. It does not demonize difference. It finds dignity in those differences. We can find dignity in our differences. This is what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church in chapter 12. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And he goes on to say, you, we can't all be a foot. <laughs> we all can't be noses or eyes. No, we have to be who God has created and called us to be. And when we do that, the entire body of Christ is stronger in the Holy Spirit. There is a part of our tradition that demonizes differences. But there is also 
a stream in our tradition that finds dignity in our differences. And part of reading the creeds well is knowing which stream to choose, which stream, which root is going to lead to our roots to learn from our past so we can move forward into the future. I wish I could have told Ben about God's universal cosmic scope, God's love and inclusivity. The early church confronted this issue actually when they were compiling the Bible, trying to decide which books should make it into the the New Testament. And one of the criteria they used to determine which books would be included was if they were what they called Catholic. They were widely used. If they weren't just exclusive to one city or one church. So a book had to be read in Jerusalem but also in Rome. It had to be read in Athens and also in Ephesus. It had to be for the entire church, not just for an exclusive few. Here I'm using the word Catholic in its adjectival sense, not its proper name form. Notice when the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Scots' Confession use the word Catholic, notice they use a lowercase c, not an uppercase c. An uppercase c is a proper name. Like when you say Jeff, that's a capital J, right? When you see a capital C, that refers to the Roman Catholic Church. When you see Catholic, small c, that's an adjective. It means universal, widespread. And our creed says it's Catholic, it's widespread, it's universal. See, a lot depends on who's in the church and how you use that C in Catholic. Is it lowercase or is it uppercase? Ironically, the little C Catholic is way bigger than the capital C Catholic. The lower C Catholic refers to Presbyterians and Lutherans, Eastern and Greek Orthodox, non-denominationalists, Mennonites and Methodists, Roman Catholics. It's widespread. And so, how does the creed then deal with the religious differences. Who's in? Who's out? Who's the true church? Did you catch it? It says the true church is invisible, known only to me. No, it doesn't say that. The true church is invisible, known only to God. Don't you worry about it. God's got it under control. In the Reformed and Presbyterian tradition, When you come to a fork in the road and you have to decide, is it up to human beings or is it up to God? Presbyterians and Reformed thinking always defers to God. God's power, God's sovereignty, and not to human agency or wisdom or knowledge. We say when it comes out to who's the true church, it's invisible and it's known only to God. But God's got the whole world in his hands. It's okay. It's up, not to us, but for God to decide. And so when you encounter somebody who's different, when you experience the diversity of the world, you don't have to be fearful. You don't have to demonize. You can find dignity in your difference. Knowing that God's got it all under control that God knows. The person who's maybe taught me the most about this is a modern day Calvinist. Marilyn Robinson has written a number of incredible fiction and nonfiction books. 
She won the Pulitzer Prize and two National Book Awards. She grew up not far from me in Sandpoint, Idaho, I think eating pizza bread. And no one has done more to recover the Calvinist theological tradition for our time than her. In an interview that she wrote with a prestigious literary magazine, the Paris Review, the interviewer asks Marilyn Robinson about the questions we're wrestling with today. The interviewer asks, someone once said that there has to be a problem with Christianity because 400 denominations later, and they still can't get it right. We've all felt that, I think. Listen to Robinson's response. She says, people in the churches worry about that. But would we be richer for the loss of Catholicism? Would we be richer for the loss of the Quakers? Isn't it true that every one of these traditions expressed Christianity in a way that the other traditions could not? It's prismatic. It's prismatic that the good news shines into the world through a prism and we see the diversity and difference of God's good news in different ways. And we can find dignity in amidst that difference. We Presbyterians, if you're one, we aren't perfect and we don't have exclusive hold on the truth. But we do have a role to play in our own unique way in expressing the grace and love of God. God's grace is prismatic. We can serve alongside people that we don't agree about everything on. We can be a part of a church with different political viewpoints. We can have different dinner preferences. We can have Alabama fans and Georgia fans, and I've heard even Auburn fans can worship together. We can be diverse and different. And where we encounter those differences in Christ, we can recognize the dignity of difference. It's prismatic. In the end, I would tell Ben, hey, Ben, we're all Catholic lowercase c. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that we are included in your church. Lord, that you've got the whole world in your hands, which includes us. Lord, I pray that we might not give in to fear or hatred, that we might not demonize those who are different, but Lord, we might find the dignity of difference so that we can be part of your church, expressing your grace and love in the world. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.